Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, it's recording. Uh, I'm, I'm here with Bo and Mike, and uh, we the, the BB20 event wrapped up a few days ago, and um, uh, Mike scheduled to stay here a few extra days to work on pep stuff, um, and uh, Bo uh, had some adventures with ICE, yeah. and so he's still, so he's, you're heading out today, right? Heading out today. Okay. Trying right. again. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you've listened to 300 of my podcasts. Mike, have you listened to any of my podcasts? I've, I've listened to all the ones I've been in. <laughs> <laughs> as you went, as we recorded. Oh, yeah, you can't yeah. listen to them. Okay. Listen live. Yeah. All That's right. a feature. So uh, I learned uh, uh, three days ago, um, I was I was saying like, oh, I, there's this guy on YouTube, and I, I kind of used to watch his stuff. I don't anymore. He's kind of rambly. And so I used the right arrow button to kind of skip ahead to get the gist of what he's saying. And so I can take a 20-minute video and get it done in about two minutes. And uh, and Jennifer pointed out that my podcast, she said, have you listened to your own podcast? So rambly. So, and I'm like, really? So I'm going to ask Bo. Bo, is this rambly shit? There's a fine line between rambly and thorough. And I do feel like if you stick it out, you'll mine some gold. Okay. All right. All right. So how diplomatic of you. I think you just said, Yes. <laughs> With diplomacy thoughts. I mean, you gotta you gotta look at this. I'm still tuned in. It's it's good enough. Yeah. It's good enough. All right. Well, I know that there's some out there that are edited and stuff and I don't do any editing, I just don't have time. Right. Um and I also know that since I started this, there's probably 20 times more podcasts out there. And it's like, so there's, so this one's a, so a lot of the people that probably listened before found a better podcast. They moved on to that. And that's great. That is excellent. And um, I am, I am seeking the few that think this style is good. Not, not necessarily the style of the podcast, but the, the, the flavor of permaculture, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. And, and they're into that. And so that's, you know, I, and I, I hope that those people will someday come here in one capacity or another. Um, but, all right, uh, quick, we're going to talk about uh, mostly fungus insulation panels. That's our primary thing. But we also are going to do a little bit of, a, of a analysis on the boot camp because you guys, while not in the boot camp, you can see the boot camp and um, have those things. Also, uh, Mike has been staying in the red cabin. We're going to talk a little bit about some stuff going on there. And um, uh, which which kind of leads to some bigger things about how we approach things to be more natural, natural building uh, stuff. And so we'll, we'll but we'll circle around to that in a moment. Let's let's start off um, with a, uh, a little bit of analysis of the BB20 events. We made a podcast covering a lot of stuff about about the uh, BB20 stuff. Mike is now the only person in the world PEP1 certified. Yay! <laughs> and um, uh, we're making a lot of changes to the forum software uh, to facilitate PEP1 stuff. Um, and uh, uh, I think that a lot of podcasts are coming soon about all the different PEP things uh, as we gear up to write a book and do a Kickstarter. And so that's going to be the big, big leap. But... I wanna I wanna talk about BB tw- just real quick BB twenty a BB twenty event versus BB zero. I want to encourage people in the future, or at least plant the seed of the idea, and maybe people that are listening to this podcast now, three years from now, will host their own BB twenty event. And I know Bo, you're already talking about at your property hosting a BB twenty event. Mike, I would I would think that you probably are going to also. Um, I let's see. In my situation, in my place, I probably won't. But what I'm planning to do is, I'm working with a local technical college, and I'm planning to teach classes that just happen to align with BBs 
so that folks could come and like, okay, we're doing a half day class or a one day class on hugo culture, and if you attend, you could just happen to knock out your BBs for that. So, cool. yeah, I'm trying to find a path to do them yet not have people on my place. <laughs> okay, um, Bob. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that was one one of my primary reasons for coming out here for the event was not just to pursue PEP certification, but to witness how the event worked because I would love to host this sort of thing on my place and even use it as an onboarding pathway for people who would like to establish temporary or semi-permanent residence on or near our property uh, just as a way to vet and teach and align values. So uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, Yeah. Okay. And... I think one of the, Paul, you've articulated this. I think a huge advantage of hosting these events is all the artifacts that the participants leave behind. Um, so we have built at Allerton Abbey another 120 feet of Hugo, 100 feet of Hugo culture. Uh, six. 60 to 80, I think. Yeah. Well, 60 to 80 feet. Hundreds of hundreds feet. Yeah. Hundreds yeah, yeah. of feet. Yeah. Thousands of seeds. Um, if you take the tape measure and you wrap it around just right, it looks like oh, yeah. hundreds. Who's that? Give it feet. Yeah. First time. Oh, yeah. 120 <laughs> circumference. Um, yeah, anyway, we built some Hugel. We've got a three log bench. We scaffolded some other Hugels. Yeah. Built some firewood. Made some, did some cooking. Yeah, made some kindling crackers, two yeah. of which will stay here. I purchased mine from Ooh, Paul. Sweet. <laughs> Thank you. One more cheap on my It's coming. Okay, all right, all right. Got it right uh, And so, <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of feel like a person could say, I'm going to host a BB20 event. Mm-hmm. And a certain caliber of person would come to that. I mean, they have to have already gotten 20 BBs. And so they've done something, um, which I kind of feel like uh, a lot of uh, people that um, host stuff or or you're going to have a workshop or whatever, and you're they're thinking like, I'm going to end up with some artifacts from it. Um, the people that show up, I know that one time, like for example, in Missoula, uh, I was uh, uh, contacted uh, by an organization and asked, can you lead a workshop on uh, building a hugo culture? And I kind of thought, okay, workshop can mean a couple different things. One thing is, is that I stand in front of a room and talk about it. I can do that. Um, on the other thing would be to actually literally build one. And, and so apparently this organizer that's like, okay, I've got this friend, and I don't remember what her name was, Lucy, and Lucy wants a hugo culture in her backyard, but she is like not a very strong person and is thinking like if she holds a workshop, then it'll end up getting built. And um, so, you know, and I'm kind of thinking like, okay. And so then they were hoping that I would, I would teach it. So I did. I taught it. I was paid zero. I didn't. I I didn't ask to be paid. I never at any point said, "How much money are you giving me?" Uh, I I just said, "Okay." I'll do it. And uh, the requirements were squirrely and and challenging. And it's like, "Okay, I, I'll do it. Fine, fine." And I'm thinking, like, you know, it's for Missoula, yeah. And so. Um, uh, I think we had like eight people show up, and four of them were really pissed off that we were going to be doing physical labor, that we were going to actually pick up chunks of wood and place them over there, and there would be a shovel, and we would fling dirt. And it's like, they were they were like, that is absolutely unacceptable. My my point, and so basically, and then the next thing was, is I was told I was never allowed to to teach for this organization again because these people complained to the board about it. And I'm like, I I did what you asked. Well, the board was like, we don't we don't care. <laughs> and so it's like I'm not the one that said we're going to actually build something. Um, that was something that doesn't matter. I mean, politics, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, all right, that's. I've got some sour grits. <laughs> you go, you do something for free, and you're not appreciated. It's like, uh, uh, yeah, okay. <clears throat> all right, moving along. I think that for a BB20 event, that isn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I think for a lot of events that you do, 
that happens. Like people are like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull up my lawn chair. I got my lemonade with an umbrella in it. And I'm going to watch you build this motherfucker. And, and, uh, and I'm going to sit in my lawn chair, having never seen this built before, and, and yell out how you're doing it wrong. You, both of you are nodding. Like, like These are basically what our expectations are. But I think if it's a BB20 event, it'll be totally different. It's people who are interested in doing, you know. There's a lot of people who kind of have their values, but they practice them with their dollars, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, but they're going to pay to watch someone else do this stuff. But BB20 was all doers. They've got a proven track record of completing projects, at least to a 20-item degree, you know, and that makes a big difference. Now, I do want to make it clear that at the upcoming PDJ, we will provide the lawn chair and the lemonade with the umbrella in it and encourage you to observe. The spectator sport? Kind of rather that you don't yell out, <laughs> you're doing it wrong! Yeah. But uh, at the same time, people are invited to participate as they like. We will have 10 tracks of things happening at the same time, and you can wander over to whichever one you want, and you can either participate or observe. Uh, you could also wander off and go just watch the clouds pass if you want, whatever you want to do. So we heartily encourage that. At the same time, i got to point out that people attending the PDJ will have paid money to be there. So we're like, that makes us like, we're cool with that. <laughs> More lemonade for you. Yeah, no, no, it's all, it's all good. But I think if you're going to host a BB20 event, I'd, I'm not sure if future BB20, we did it for free. This this event was totally free. No one no one paid a nickel. I did provide food. Um, one could find it debatable whether it was worth parting with the food. Um, but I mean, I think a big part of it is is we have a lot to learn about the flavor of events and stuff. And what one of the things I guess what I'm trying to do is this is a long-winded way of saying I think we did learn a really cool thing. Yeah. And that is the people that show up are of a far higher caliber than than we normally expect. And and there's a lot of benefits to developing those relationships. Yeah. And and yeah, so the people were a better caliber or they they knew what to expect and they came in knowing what BBs were, how you had to take pictures, how how to document what you're doing and that time is of the essence. The more you get done, the more BBs you can get done while you're here on site. Um, it, it also allowed, or this event was great, I'm, you know, I'm glad it's free, so we got enough students in to, to learn how to do a non-clusterfucky type setup or type event. So the, the BB0 event last year was just showed up every morning and said, like, what do you want to do? Oh, I'll do a three-log bench. That sounds like fun. And then a couple of people do that. Somebody else does something else. And somebody's trying to herd the cats. But this one was a little more directed. Like, here's what, okay, we're all going to go do hoogles today. And and I could learn better how to coordinate a small pile of cats instead of a, a, a big herd. Right. So. Do you think that, like, I know that, like, next year we're going to do the PDC, followed by the PDJ, Permaculture Technology Jamboree, followed by the SKIP event. And currently, the PDJ, while it has 10 tracks, the SKIP event has one. But I suppose if there was enough interest, we could try to do multi-track. If, like, if there were enough students that were interested in it, we could do multi-track. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, we could, because the PTJ event has a list of, B, of badges that we're going to knock out, and the skip event has a totally different list of badges, so if right. you attend both, you get them all. There's no reason we couldn't have a second track of all the PTJ stuff alongside the skip event if we had instructors to corral people around. But, yeah, there could be additional tracks, additional teams. There could be interesting ways to do it. Okay. So... I'm just kind of thinking about like um, how people who have a homestead, they might say something like, we're going to do a one-week uh, BB20 event. So everybody who attends has to have at least 20 BBs. So maybe they have PEP1 certification already, but they're going to do, you know, come and participate and other, for other reasons. Um, and uh, maybe they've got BB40 or BB60. And, uh, but the big thing is, is that uh, you're going to say like, all right, there are certain artifacts that I want out of this event and and maybe what they'll do too is they'll say like I ain't feeding anybody I you know 
I'm going to give you some space in the pasture over there to put up tents and I'll allow up to a dozen and I'll allow people to use my tools um, and, and and I'll probably, you know, and, and I will be part of it, whoever the homestead person is, whoever the person that's, you know, hosting the event. Um, but uh, uh, and they can say like, okay, on day one and day two, here's the stuff that, that's going to be done. There's BBs for this stuff. But it's like I'm kind of thinking like, what am I going to? What are the artifacts I'm going to get out of this? Mm-hmm. And so then they might say, I want to get my wood for the winter put up. <laughs> and that's that's the big thing I'm getting out of this. And so it's like, okay, so everybody's got to get that BB. That's like a required thing to be here. And so if they announce it ahead of time, then those people that are like, yeah, 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 that's no problem. I want to get that BB, and I can't get it where I live right now for whatever reason. And so I'd love to be able to get that BB at your place and uh, maybe there's another one or two out of all of that and then the rest of it's like free for all maybe or maybe they they provide a specific list I mean there can be so many different flavors of BB20 events all right uh, any other frosting to put on this cake about um, our BB20 event it's great that's <laughs> the frosting all right um before we get into the fungus insulation panels, let's let's talk about these other two things real quick. Uh, you guys have observed the boot camp, and so um, you you've seen what they're working on, things like that. Uh, what are your general observations of the boot camp in action? It would be nice to be 20 years younger. Yeah, <laughs> be, yeah it it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, it's a way to yeah, you're not. Instead of going off to college or something, you come here, you live, you're warm, you're fed, you've got a different job every day. Uh, sometimes I'm sure they're doing the same thing day after day for a little while. But, yeah, you got varied tasks, um, working with a fun group of other people. There's lots of singing and music and stuff like that going on in the background here. and It's a lively team environment of, of happy youngins. So. I... I kind of think, like, rather than saying 20 years younger, there was a point in my life 15 years ago when I became less tethered to Mount Spokane and I was able to go wherever. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that at that point in my life, uh, which is, you know, much, much older than what you're imagining, um, I think that this could have been a fit for me. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of people that find themselves untethered and um, that, you know, they're, they're free of debt. Because I don't think debt would do well here. Like, like arriving with debt, I don't think that's going to work out. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. There's ways, but I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think as a general strategy, it's a good idea. But <clears throat> I don't know. I think that there are people where they could be empty nesters or whatever is their story. That I, I wouldn't limit it to. Um, to people that are like in their 20s. Yeah. You know. I guess that for my personal life trajectory, about 20 years ago would have been the time to do this for me. Now I'm too tethered. Right. Yeah. Right. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. I think there's also some people where they live in the city and then they um, learn about permaculture and they get enthusiastic about it. And um, like, let's say they're in their 30s or maybe even 40s. And it's like... And then next thing you know, they're like so enthralled by it that they want to go out of the city. And and I would imagine that there'd be some people where they are already tethered to a house and they're like, I'm ready to sell. And uh, I'll take that money, put it in the bank, and uh, they'll come here and be part of what we're doing. Yeah. So um, I think that we're really good about when people, most people show up, that they're not physically capable of keeping up and... I think that the boot camp is extremely generous. Like, no, no problem. Work for 20 minutes and sit for 20 minutes. That's that's fine. Or maybe work for 20 and sit for five. <laughs> you know, over and over and over again. But uh, we kind of expect people's first week here is going to be a slow week as they're, you know, building up the pace. And I think we've had um, half the people that come here express being far more fit after a month or two. Uh, a lot of stories of like I lost 40 pounds and things like that. Um, so uh, 
anyway, ob- any other observations about the uh, the boot camp? It's great people here right now, specifically. They're just fun and capable, and they're they're learning to lead in their spaces, and they're doing really neat things. Uh, we're currently exploring expansion. Um, I'm not sure if we mentioned the podcast about the three barriers that we have towards going beyond. Uh, like, we keep bumping up against this number 11, and, like, we need the physical space. We need the managerial element to be able to manage it. So that's, uh, at this time, Fred, Josiah, and Jennifer. Um, and uh, also the financial stuff. So um, at this time, you know, all managing the boot camp costs money per per person. And it's like, so we're working on trying to uh, solve those barriers. Um, there are currently 18 people on the waiting list, but a few days ago I sent out a thing saying, who all wants to come out on November 15th? And out of those 18, we had zero takers. So, um, and I think that's kind of reasonable. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I've got plans for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and so I don't want to come out right now. And we'll we'll do we'll try this again uh, come uh, January one and, and see if we can get more takers. But you know, a lot of people are thinking like, well, it's winter time. You know, isn't there nothing to do? And it's kind of like, oh no, nope. We are just as busy as ever in the middle of winter. It's just that things shift a little bit. We do more indoor projects, more maintenance. Uh, the sawmill runs more often. You guys see our sawmill in action? Yep. I saw it. It was cutting boards. <laughs> so uh, lots of sawmill stuff, a lot of timber stuff, um, and plus we are uh, we made a thread just for uh, winter time in the boot camp, and we've added six holidays, <laughs> six six totally made up holidays. But that's another podcast for another day. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, oh, a lot of what we do and a lot of the commentary is about how because you guys said something as before we started recording this podcast. We're like taking notes on what we're going to talk about is how do we end up with such excellent people here in the boot camp I think you guys were talking about the quality of the people that are here and so what would be what would be flavors of the quality of person that's here now uh, generally self-motivated don't need hand holding to make sure they're being productive on their task okay yeah some um Reliable, like, um, well, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but like paying attention to where the tools are, where stuff is, and then remembering so that a week later when you need the chains for something or you need to, you, you know, you know where things are and you're, and you're capable. So something like that is useful around here. Um, I would say fair level of give a shit and a fair level of figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people, it's like they've got zero figured out. Like, you need to tell me every step. Mm -hmm. And I think we've got a lot of, I'm willing to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And then then we've got strong values. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that uh, the people here give a shit about those values. And uh, they they give a shit about doing a really nice job. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's, there's a lot of that. One thing that's really interesting amongst your boots and just the people that are here in general, uh, at home when I talk about things like chemical sensitivity and striving for the most attainable natural environment, I get a lot of blank stares, you know, and there's a lot of explaining and a lot of thinking that maybe I'm off my rocker, and probably that's kind of true. But it's been really nice to be here and be amongst people who not only share the same language but do share the same values where explanation for these things is not required. There's a quick level of affinity and understanding, and I feel like conversation and projects are a lot more productive being on that same page. When you talk to people who believe that you are off your rocker, um, if we, if that one individual, if one of those many individuals were to come here, would it seem like the that there's a, a mirror image going on? Like, are they off of their rocker when they are here? I don't know. I feel like if <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, this may be their first exposure to some of these concepts. And I feel like there's actually a lot of grace for someone who's just learning, just coming into it for the first time. But I feel like that's 
that's a person in, in this context and they're going to be less likely to push against it because it's normative here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that first exposure becomes 10 exposures, which then makes you more open to the possibility that mold is a real thing that can harm your health. Mm-hmm. And there's things to do about it in your environment. Does that answer that question? I, I, would, I would say so. I'm going to go with... It is. Ref- I'm going to say, from my perspective, I'll say it's reflective, and it's kind of like when those people are here, their choices seem poor. Just as when the people that believe that you are off your rocker, when you are with a bunch of, and, and I love how um, Doug Bullock calls them muggles. So when you're around a bunch of muggles, then you seem loopy as fuck. And um, but when those mug when a muggle comes here, that muggle to all our group seems loopy as fuck. And what ninety nine times out of hundred they excuse themselves. Oh yes. Or if they stick it out, they wind up getting excused. Uh, let's say yes. And so, but I mean, like the muggles aren't going to come here to be in the boot camp. None. There's not a single one. I mean, I'm thinking more like. When when a muggle comes by for some other reason, everything here seems crazy to them, and their values seem crazy to us. And so it's kind of like, and I do think that the reason why we get we will get more people in the boot camp, and why we've had so many, is because I think a lot of people are kind of like, I feel like I'm drowning in muggles, and I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I got to go someplace where I'm going with the flow mm-hmm. instead of contrary to the flow. Yeah. It's like going contrary to the floor, flow is uh, tiring. And I'm and I I want to coast a bit. Yeah. At least for can I go someplace and coast for a week? Yeah. Welcome to the Sepper program. <laughs> yeah, and regarding that, I said this to one of the boots this week. I have never visited a place where we ate as well as we eat at home as my family and I eat in terms of growing a significant portion of our own and everything we purchase is of this quality or higher. Uh, it made it really easy to come here. Usually we travel and it's it's a lot of work just figuring out how to feed ourselves in a way that doesn't make us sick. And we ate so well here every Good. meal. I, I'm going to make a, a bit of a leap and say, um, and, and I don't know what your answer to this is, do you believe that you have chemical sensitivities? Yes. Okay. And so you're here and you're not suffering? Correct. Okay. All Especially right. staying up at the lab. I slept as well at the lab as I've slept anywhere in my life. And when you slept at the lab, you slept in Cooper Cabin? I did. Right yeah. there on the Rocket Mass Heater Bench. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you have a pad or anything? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, All right. It was a little hard without the pad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the cob can be weirdly soft. It's, it's like as like hard a... as concrete, but somehow softer. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a big slab. It's got some curve to it. Yeah. 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 You had a thing? I've, I've got down that, that Mike, Mike has a thing he wants to say at this point. And it says, the note is, Parallel to universities. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was in reference to the winnowing process of boot camp, and you know, ten ten new boots come in, and maybe a couple stick around, and enough of those stick around, and suddenly you get a Jen and a Josiah and a, and, a, and a Fred. Right. So the parallel to that, which is probably a very poor parallel, was just like the university system, where a lot of folks are going to a college, and after four or five years, they go off and do something else. But some of them stick around to be TAs or you know, assistant professors or, or grad school, they stick it out longer and then some end up just spending their whole lives in the college system and they're your professors and your deans and that. Yeah. So there's some a poor parallel to that system is well basically in that system they have to bring in twenty thousand to get one professor. Yeah, something along those lines. Right. And they have to pay to get, the students have to pay to show up, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Little details like <laughs> The parallels kind of crumble yeah. around, around yeah. there. Yeah, I okay. didn't say it's a good analogy, but it's an analogy. All right. Uh, yeah, I do think that there's something, and I've, I've seen the uh, people on the Internet um, uh, be unkind about my saying, like, you, we got to bring in 20 people and then uh, 19 do not stick. And and it's kind of like uh, the, the the unkind people on the internet are, are kind of like, see, Paul's already rejecting human beings. How dare you? And I'm kind of thinking like, 
well, what are you doing, asshole? You anonymous asshole. <laughs> you know, it's like, are you doing fucking nothing? Which is probably almost universally the case. <clears throat> so, but I do think that there's, so we have a, we have many, many, many layers of filters. And I think that the whole thing about tobacco and pot is our primary filter. And um, that filters out 98, 99% of the people. Um, and then other things about particular flavors of permaculture and other values filters out a lot of people. Um, and, and then of those, certain people show up. And I think the boot camp, saying it's the boot camp is an awesome filter because then you're only getting the people that are like, no, I, I love the idea of working hard. And it's like, uh, and then, they can, then they can come. Um, so I kind of feel like layers and layers and layers of filters. And then, of course, the ultimate one is, is like, all right, now you're here. Let's get to work. Let's see how this works out for everybody. And then um, some people are here for a week and they're like, nah. <laughs> and then uh, some people are here for a month and they change their minds. And then sometimes they're here for a couple of months and we change our minds. And so it's like, it's part of the filter. And then we end up with, I think, really excellent people sticking it out long term. And so, I don't know, I feel like I'm saying the, the wrong thing to say. I feel like if I want to entice people, I'll say, no, it's glorious for everybody all the time. Everybody who ever comes here stays forever. So I should never say what I just said. <laughs> but, damn, there it is. <clears throat> All right. Um, another, the last note we have about here is um, variety of work. So no one's, uh, you know, being burdened with working on the same thing. Although I think Josiah said something the other day, unless your name is Josiah, because <laughs> he's working on the greenhouse and he's trying to get it all done before, I want to say before the snow flies. But as we're looking outside, there's a foot of snow on the ground right now. Mm. And it's like, before the snow flies more, <laughs> yeah. so he's he's racing, um, but uh, uh, lots of uh, music, laughing, silly. Uh, the food is all right. Yeah, I, every day. I don't know if the boots have something figured out, but people just food appears and someone different's cooking stuff all the time. So there's usually two or three pots of stuff sitting there to eat. And yeah, you can find your way around pretty good if you got a tummy. <laughs> I think that the the community cooking thing here is going really well, mm -hmm. and people are having a good time. Um, so I think I think a lot of a lot of good stuff going. Uh, next next uh, item uh, to try to quickly go over is the red cabin. So the red cabin, when, when we have guests, it seems to be the number one place where people want to stay. You've got privacy. There's two bunks in there, although I think it's extremely rare that the second bunk is ever used. Uh, most people just take the bigger lower bunk, um, which is a full-size bunk, and uh, the upper bunk is a twin. Um, so, uh, uh, and now, here it is. In fact, we got to two below uh, during your stay here. And um, there's a brand new rocket mass heater. It's a four-inch system. Now, compared to the teepee, which is an uninsulated structure, it has an eight-inch rocket mass heater. So it, it can take four times more fuel than the rocket mass heater in the red cabin, but the number of square feet on the interior is about the same. So, um, and we recently, so there's a recent podcast talking about how we replaced the rocket mass heater in the red cabin. Uh, it was a batch box system, and we took that out. But, Mike, you have experience with the batch box, and you learned its, its intricacies, and you enjoyed it. And now you have the new rocket mass heater. And what are your feelings about the new one? I so yes I I spent a, a May or some time in May last year with the Batchbox Cyclone heater and learned its learned its foibles and learned to love it except for the smoking into the room issue which I think could be fixed by lowering the door a little bit not that I know anything about Rocket Mass heaters so, so this one is a cute little four inch system it's smaller the room got a lot bigger once this showed up um, the mass is all under the bed a bunch of pebbles and stuff. 
stuff, so that's cool. Um, this one pumps out heat fast, but it doesn't hold much in the mass. So it's like, it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from the other heater. So um, I got a lot of experience running it. I put a posted on the Red Cabin thread on Permies about how to light it up and run it. So the next person who's staying there has a, has a point. But yeah, so okay. the wood, so the, the old one was a batch box that had no barrel. And um, it, because it's a batch box, it could take more wood. I'm going to guess that the amount of wood it could take was four or five times more than what you can feed into the current four-inch system. Is that about right? Um, I... I'm trying to remember. I would say three times more. You could probably stuff three times more into that. Okay. And this. It's and going from empty to full with the four inch. And usually there's sticks already in there, so you're trying to fit them around it. But if you just took the amount of wood that fit in the four inch, yeah, maybe three times more would have fit in the batch. Okay. For the month of May, the coldest temperature you probably experienced for an outdoor temperature was probably 40 degrees. And so right. the people, the pod people can't see you nod. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's something in the 40s, I'm guessing. Okay. And and here you experienced negative two, so probably 45 degrees colder than what you experienced before. Yeah, it was clearly colder. Okay. All right. All right. Um, now I, I gotta say that I know I recorded a podcast with Uncle Mud after he'd made some modifications, and then after that. Um, uh, Fred and Clayton and Scott went down there and they had to make more modifications. They spent probably a couple of days um, refining it. And so one of the things we did is we took out the riser and replaced it with this um, uh, ceramic fiber molded riser. And uh, uh, and I think it's a six-inch riser that's in there, and it was a four-inch riser that we took out. So it's it's bigger. It's too big for the system. But but the system did run much cleaner after that. And um, we had some people move in, and uh, but they were here for September, and uh, uh, maybe maybe late August. So it's like they didn't hit too many cold days, but they thought it worked great. Um, but I think they're kind of like, oh, let's just take the chill off short term, you know. And there were there were very few days where it was, like, cold enough to justify a fire at all. And I think um, up here in the Fisher-Price house, we didn't even fire up the rocket mass heater at all this year until during this event. Mm-hmm. And it, it got cold enough, and then it got cold, which is weird for October here. This is... Usually in October, um, like the first time that the snow sticks uh, through the day is usually around Thanksgiving. And so this is bizarre to be so cold in October. But, all right. Um, and at the same time, what is your analysis of, because we have paid people to insulate the red cabin three times. Uh, what is your analysis of the uh, insulation in the red cabin? My analysis is that the floor and the roof insulation looks pretty good. The wall insulation, I'm assuming, is not great. But the largest issue, in my opinion, is the seal or the air tightness of the building. It, as far as I can tell, it leaks like a sieve. Um, so no matter how much heat you make with the heater, it's just wafting right in and out through the walls, ceiling, and floor. And it's it's there's no way to hold on to the heat because it's just pittering away through every crack in that building. All right. I heard you just say that you thought that the floor insulation is pretty good, um, whereas when I'm standing in there, I can look between the floorboards and I can see dirt underneath. Can you tell me more about this floor insulation you speak of? Yeah, based on your de- your descriptions of it, I went and crawled under there, looked under there yesterday, trying to figure out how to how to patch in some insulation, and most of the underneath, as far as I can see, is covered with bats of fiberglass insulation. Um, I did notice last night one spot right near the door where you can see light through the floorboards, maybe six inches from the door. So there certainly can be spots, and in the southwest corner where it's the tightest to the ground, I couldn't see back. In there, and there might be, there could be pieces falling down mm-hmm. here and there, but I'd say 90% or more of the floor has insulation under it. Okay. Um, 
there's been an, a big overhaul on the rocket mass heater up at the TP, and um, we have a full podcast to record in the future with that. And I want to I want to do that with uh, Josiah and Fred and Jen, um, and and there's lots of details. But one of the things is is that. Um, a rocket mass heater does not perform well when there's a cold plug. And and usually the cold plug has to do with when the temperature outside is warmer than the temperature inside. So, for example, you guys have both lit the fire here in the rocket, uh, in the Fisher-Price house. No, Mike has not. Nope. But, but, Bo, you have. Right. Okay. And now, uh, do you have experience with rocket mass heaters outside of this property? I have experience with rocket stoves, but not rocket mass heaters. Okay. And wood stoves. But Okay, but but now you, to work on BBs, you've probably lit other rocket mass heaters on this property. Yeah, yeah. This would be my third J-tube, maybe. No, this would be my fifth J-tube, and done probably three batch boxes in my week here. Okay, all right. And how does, how does the Fisher-Price house rocket mass heater compare to the others? Uh, it's dreamy. <laughs> yeah, it works immediately. It's got a very gratifying, instantaneous draw, <laughs> even on your first bit of riser warming kindling, and then it whooshes right into action, unless you have the kitchen hood fan on. <laughs> Did you make that mistake? No, I didn't. No. You, you yeah. saw somebody uh, do it, though. I saw it done twice and thought, ah, I should turn the fan off first. <laughs> yeah. And so, basically, uh, the Fisher-Price house is sealed and um, uh, so then if there's no fire in the rocket mass heater and you turn on a fan then the air that is going into the fan and going outside like the kitchen fan the kitchen hood fan mm-hmm. um, it's going to try and suck smoke out like if you're cooking something and, and it's very smoky it's going to try and suck that smoke outside so then that means that the air for that has to come from somewhere and look just right there, not too far away from that fan, there's a big hole with a tube that goes outside. Mm-hmm. And so if the house is sealed, it makes sense that the air is going to come. And that this problem also happens with a conventional wood stove right. uh, if your house is sealed. Mm-hmm. And so it was easily repaired. Either you open a window a bit or you turn off the fan. Yeah. It did outcompete the bathroom exhaust this morning. So once it's going... No, even at a kindling. Oh, okay. Yeah. There, was, there, was a, there was a bathroom fan going mm. and the, the rocket mass heater was cold and it's still out. And this is kind of getting to my point that I'm making, is that in this building, when we decided to build a fire, the temperature outside was much colder than the temperature inside. So, therefore, the vertical exhaust is full of this warmer air, and there's a hole to the outdoors. So that warmer air would rise. And so, because it was rising, then we have air motion through the system. Um, However, at the teepee, the temperature inside is almost universally the same as the temperature outside. Mm -hmm. The air does not move normally Mm -hmm. until you make it move. So here, this one's easy to start because this building is, I'm going to say, moderately insulated. I don't think moderately insulated is even right because if you look like at that window right there, how thick is the insulation on this building? Yeah, at best it's a six inch. You're probably looking at R20, R19, something like that. And the fact that this building is a double wide, what is the quality of the insulation that they used in this building? The, I believe usually the top of the line goes into double wides. No. <laughs> yeah, of course, the cheapest thing they can get to satisfy building codes or whatever they're trying to hit. Yeah. Probably the pink stuff. Oh, I was thinking of everyone else. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, okay, that's a Right. Oh, and that reminds me, this is the perfect time. Bo, did did you have a joke to tell? 
about a penguin? No. No, yeah. was that Mike? Mike, I were you going to... Someone was saying we got to tell this joke in the piper. No, i got to remember it. i got to remember it. What was it? Uh, yeah, so the uh, penguin went to get his car worked on, and so he dropped it off at the shop, and the, and the guy said, okay, I'll be a little while. Uh, go make yourself useful. So the penguin he didn't have another car, didn't want the courtesy ride to the mall, so he just walked down the street, went to the ice cream place, and killed some time, came back, and then and, and the mechanic said, oh, look, looks like you blew a seal. And no, no. Just ice cream. <laughs> I think that was it. No, that was it. That was it. You did it better than I did. Better. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Second time. Right. 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 Um, so okay. The the thing is, is that we're talking about a cold plug, and I think it's it is almost impossible to have a cold plug here at the Fisher Price House for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, the the whenever anybody wants to build a fire, the temperature outside is colder than inside. And so there's always going to be a draw just because of the natural temperature. Whereas in the teepee, there, it's going to almost always have a cold plug because the temperature outside is the same as the temperature inside. And once you start the fire, then the exhaust is pushed through the mass, and then the mass is going to take as much heat as it can get, which is pretty much all of it. So it's so the exhaust is going to be whatever is the mass temperature, pretty much. And it's not going to be enough to create a thermosiphon to go outside. So you've got to mitigate that, and it's tough to mitigate that. And so that's led to some challenges up at the teepee, which we've kind of overcome, but we've got more to go. I think that the red cabin, which has poor insulation to the point of like it, it might be fair to say it's, it's as if it is an uninsulated structure is this a fair assessment to make Mike? I would say since uh, it's a combination of being sealed or being not sealed and being poorly insulated that it's probably pretty close to not being insulated but if, if it was sealed up then the little bit of insulation it's got would be would be great. And the money, the benefit would primarily be in sealing it over insulating it further. But to do one, you might as well do the other. Okay. All right. Um, and so, basically, the thing the thing that's occurring at this moment is that this tiny rocket mass heater that we've put into this tiny space, which has m more space than what's in the teepee. And the teepee has a system that burns four times more wood at once and, um, uh, and is designed for the cold plug scenario. Um, that the rocket mass heater in the red cabin, which burns a quarter of the wood at a time and is not designed for the cold plug scenario. It is, it is designed through and through for um, being a space more like the Fisher-Price house. Um, that your experience in it is that um, when you start a fire, you get instant heat, which the previous one, the previous rocket mass heater did not do that at all. It, you would have to burn much more wood for more than an hour until you would start to feel some heat. Is that fair? Yeah, I think what, the way I used to run that one was I'd get a little kindling fire started, and then I'd throw in the equivalent of a, a hunk of wood, the equivalent of a two-by-four and a half, maybe. like so Three sticks that are like a two-by-two two in there. Okay. And that was it. Close the door up, and the heat would start coming out in a yeah, half hour to an hour or so. But in those conditions, lows in the 40s to 50s, you know, it put out the heat, by the time I was going to bed, and it kept me warm all night. And you get up in the morning and it's still warm. It was you know, warmer. I was, you know, I wasn't getting up in the middle of the night to light a fire. Right. Okay. Now, with this really cold uh, weather that we've been having, you uh, would run a fire for at least two hours before bed. Yeah. And then you were getting up in the middle of the night to run a fire again. Yep. And then in the morning, you'd beat your cheeks out of there to go someplace where it's warm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like my last night was w much warmer. It was 20 degrees for the low, so downright balmy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'd start a fire before dinner, 
come up here, eat, go back down, throw some more wood in before it had gone out, come back up and hang out, go back down, throw some more wood in, come up. And then at about 9 or 10, I was, I'd be down there, and I just kept feeding it wood till I think last night was 10.30-ish okay. or so. Then it was plenty warm. I mean, if there was a thermometer in there, I'd have guessed it was in the 70s. And then go way off to the far end of the tiny room where the bed is, and it's not, not nearly as warm over there. Okay. And tuck into bed. And then around, I think this morning it was 2.30 or 3. My nose was too cold, and I <laughs> got out of bed, threw on some clothes, lit up a fire, read a book for a half hour to 45 minutes, and got her heated back up enough, and then went back to bed. And then I was able to make it till I actually slept in a bit till 7:30 today. But yeah, she was a little brisk in the morning. Not, and it was probably 50 in the morning in there or something. So for my lazy, pampered life, that's a little cold in the morning. Okay, so when you got up in the middle of the night to to have a fire, what do you believe may have been the temperature inside the room? I probably something around fifty. Okay. All right. All right. Um, and then I would I'm going to speculate that if the red cabin is properly insulated and sealed, properly emphasis on properly. Um, because it is, I mean, we've paid people to insulate it many times, and here we are. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's like, okay, let's let's do it properly. And um, uh, I would imagine that you would go to bed, and it would be like 70s, and it took much less wood to get there, and you would wake up. And it would probably be 70, maybe 69, something like that. Something far more comfortable. I am, this is my speculation. Am I anywhere close? My speculation would be in this kind of weather, yeah, in in a matter of an hour, hour and a half of, of heating, you'd be able to get it heated up from, I don't know, whatever it was when I got in there, 40 or something in the, in the evening. You could get it heated up to 70-ish. And then I'm guessing over the course of the night, it might lose 5 to 10 degrees. So okay. from whatever you got it to, I'm guessing it would it would, it would hold that much. All right. I'm, I'm going to... Based on my knowledge of rocket mass heaters, I'm going to say that um, you might not lose that much. I mean, of course, with negative two, then okay, yeah, yeah, you might you might lose five to ten degrees. Um, but I think that uh, with the insulation, it'll it'll be uh, it'll be less so. Now, um, this kind of leads into the whole thing about. The, the building center. So you created for us a lovely document on how you believe that that structure should be properly insulated and sealed. Um, and your question to me was, like, for that red cabin, what are the building centers? Like, what might we use for insulation? What it would be acceptable? And for the seal, what would be acceptable? And so then the answer to that question was, the building standards at base camp are much looser than up at the lab. Up at the lab, it's it's very much like we want we want to build with with one percent of the plastic and the glue and paint and cement for a conventional building, and um, and we're going to take all kinds of crazy steps to get there, and it might include a dozen experiments to try to pull it off. And it'll take us longer, but that's okay. That's what we're all about. That's what that's what the big fight is for. <clears throat> and now I'm going to take a quick little side trip about water on the lab. The moment we arrived, water on the lab was the highest priority. I know that I took the excavator to um, 20 different spots where I thought water might be just 10 feet below the surface. And um, the excavator can dig a 16-foot deep hole in about 20 minutes. And I've, I've dug more than 20 holes like that. And probably three of those holes were where I ended up digging a hole right next to it that's about the shape of an excavator that went down an additional 8 to 10 feet so I can get another 8 to 10 feet deeper hole because I just feel like, man, that water should be right there. And, and those, that was a universal failure. All of those failed. 
and I thought if we could just find some water that we could tap into real quick we'll have water on the lab the next attempt was that same year still within the first four months of being here we started making these um, contraptions to dig wells by hand that would go down 30-35 feet and uh, it was like this long PVC pipe that had handles on it so we could kind of you know crank it back and forth we put teeth on the other end and we pumped water in the water would then dig the dirt out and kind of pour it into a settling pond where we could get more water to push back into it um, we did I think two or three of those all fail um, and then there was one of the ants who said that he would dig a well that was all sorts of drama and stomach ache and uh, money he wouldn't do it unless he was paid well he wanted a lot of money but he dug these wells by hand and uh, they were the results were poor not enough not good enough and finally this year it looks like we're going to finally get I mean it's, we're to the point now where it's like okay enough screwing around oh I skipped the biggest one of all I gave somebody many, many thousands of dollars to drill wells. They were going to go buy well drilling equipment and drill all the wells I wanted, and they skipped town with my money. And so it's like, so we've had all these creative solutions, and finally it gets to the point of like, you know what, it's been seven years. We just got to do a regular well. And then once we have a regular well, then we can start re-exploring creative water sources. And we, I, have a, I have about 20 ideas for that, including a couple of experiments we've already started. But that's another discussion for another day. Circle back to the red cabin. Okay, our building standards aren't as high. And we've had three attempts to insulate that structure, and they've all failed. And so it's time to quit fucking around and just do a good job. And so the question is, is like, okay, what are our natural, you know, requirements? And it's like, well, it's at base camp, so we, they are, it would be nice to have more natural alternatives, but uh, not required. So what did we end up with, Mike? What's, what are your recommendations based on, on like, conventional with some natural sprinkles? Yep, so what I'm recommending is in the walls to use rock wool insulation, which is, I believe, better than fiberglass. And so we can use that on the walls. I was thinking we'd use it in the floor, but after crawling around under there last night, or yesterday, I realized there's already fiberglass in there, so you just fill in the spots where it's missing. Um, then to seal it, um, the best thing we've got is poly. So I'll get a roll of uh, poly visqueen vapor barrier and staple that onto the ceilings and walls. So first taking off the ceiling and wall boards. Um, I guess removing the floor was looking like it couldn't be done, so the, we can't take up the floorboards and put down poly. So we'll just live with the insulation in the floor and cover the underneath the insulation to hold it up and keep more pieces from falling out with uh, some the thinnest plywood we can we can find so I would rather use our 3 8 inch stuff off the sawmill than than use plywood I think that we'll be fine with that I mean the only issue would be what could we get down in there to kind of tack it up and I I would imagine that the 3 8 inch stuff we would tack it up with like a brad gun uh, the issue with the floor is that since we don't have visqueen or, or plastic or some kind of a seal there, mm -hmm. the plywood would act as a seal. It would keep the critters from living in the insulation because you have to, any gap over a half inch, a mouse can expand with its teeth. Mm -hmm. So unless there's some kind of metal there that they can't chew through or something solid like a sheet of plywood, the critters will live in there. So if you, had, if you use the 3 inch boards off the sawmill, they'll have gaps. And the wind will pass right through it again, so you won't have a seal. The, my thinking with the plywood was that it would, the vast majority of the air gaps would be gone by using plywood. So, it, yeah, that's an area for debate, I guess, then. It, I, in order to seal up the floor at all, we need something kind of continuous across it. And unless we want to pull out all the insulation and then tack some plastic up above it, if, you, if you're going to put something impervious like plastic, it's got to be on the human side of the insulation in this climate. Yeah. So condensation doesn't get into the insulation. 
So, but yeah, we can talk more about it. So whatever we tack underneath needs to be it's dominantly for being mouse proof. And then whatever and then we need to tack something in above that's gonna be um, some sort of seal. In in a perfect world, uh, for this cabinet, the the walls and ceiling are sealed well, and the floor isn't sealed as well. Then it's less of a problem. You don't have the stack effect of a leak up high and a leak down low, causing air to just constantly move through the structure. Mm-hmm. But for that floor, there's a combination of holding up the insulation that you want that is there that you want to add, keeping critters out, and then trying to keep you know the wind is blowing under that structure, taking heat in and out of that insulation also. So keeping the wind from washing the insulation, I believe is what they call it. So, so. All right. One last thing about the rocket mass heater. Um, the new design has a narrow uh, burn tunnel, so that um, the where the burn tunnel is for most of our structures, it's like we've got a pretty wide thing going on because the barrel's going to basically sit on that. But this has got a, a different design, and so it's it really the exterior of the rocket mass heater core really hugs that burn tunnel, and. Um, uh, I know that when I've touched it, it's been too hot. And when I've measured it, it's like that is way too hot. We need to keep more of that heat inside for a variety of reasons. So now, it, it, uh, I think I heard a report this morning that you uh, tested the sides of that. Yeah, I heard you say that the sides got too warm. So I went and touched them after they've been running for an hour or so. And I would concur. It is too warm. <laughs> I got a nice little bird on my finger. Uh, that, that is that is way too warm if you got burned. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. The little red line there. Oh, How yeah. I that, that about that long. So for those who can't see, yeah, about a second. Like, just long enough to realize, fuck, that's hot. I shouldn't have done that. And then I had to lick my finger and blow on it. And, yeah. Ow, 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 ow. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, uh, so we've talked about the big thing we want to talk about is the fungus insulation panels. And now we have talked about everything but that. As we're ready, we're ready. And I need a bio break. <laughs> so therefore, I'm, I'm making an executive decision. If you like this sort of thing, <laughs> come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about cold and homesteading and permaculture all the time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.